So we are, we're in the middle of a series, sermon series, in the book of Ephesians. Pastor Doug has titled it, Live a Life of Love. And over the last weeks, Doug has, uh, he, he has talked all about um, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And he's talked all about a number of things that Paul wrote to that church. Some of those things have a lot to do with uh, uh, that Christ has broken down this dividing wall between, uh, between the Jews and the Gentiles, between all people, actually, and that in Christ there can be unity in the church and among God's people. That Christ makes that possible. Paul has talked about the mystery of the gospel, which is that even while it seemed like before in ancient times the, the love of God had only come to a certain group of people, that now at this point in Jesus Christ, the gospel has come to all people. The love of God has come to all people, and it's there for all people to accept it. Last week, Doug said that uh, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul, the Apostle Paul starts to take a little bit of a turn. While before, in the first three chapters, he talks a lot about theology words about God and who God is and what God does. In chapter 4, he begins to take this turn towards ethics or towards practice or towards what happens as a result of the theology that he has proclaimed. And uh, today we come to the text, and it is no different. That's exactly where Paul is. He's going to take what he has said, and he is going to show you and tell you exactly what it means for your life. Because uh, Christianity isn't just a philosophy. Christianity isn't just a, a theology. But Christianity is a life and a living process. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It, will, it is up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4. It would be pretty quick to get to in your phone, Randall. Yeah. We're going to be beginning, uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 17, and I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, that's what's up on the screen. But uh, beginning in verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil." Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion 
that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning eager for your word. Father, I pray that uh, as your word is read, as your word is preached, that you would open our ears and open our eyes to hear what you have to say and to see what you have to say to us this morning. I pray that you open our hearts, that we would be able to examine them, that we would come to you open and honest and in love and receive your love. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I think the question of what Christianity is all about is a pretty interesting question. Not only is it an interesting question, I think it's a pretty important question, especially if you're a Christian. If you're in church this morning, it's probably a good thing to know what your faith is all about. The tricky thing about it, I think, is that uh, as you walk out into society, as you walk out into the world, everybody seems to have a different opinion about what Christianity is all about. I learned this a few years ago when I lived in Scotland. I was doing doctoral work at the University of Edinburgh, and one day Sarah and I decided to have lunch at the pub that was next to the college. And we went in, we had a great lunch, and after lunch Sarah had to go to work, so she left to go to work, and I went to the bar to pay the bill. And uh, I was at the till talking to the bartender, and as I was, the man sitting just next to me, um, it was about one in the afternoon, and he was very completely drunk. And he heard my American accent, and he wanted to know what an American was doing in Edinburgh. And I told him, I'm studying at the university. And he said, what are you studying? And it was very slurred speech, although that may have just been his Scottish accent. (laughs) You generally can't tell. (laughs) At least I can't. Um, And he wanted to know what I was studying. And I told him, I'm studying God. I'm studying theology. And this piqued his interest. He wanted to know exactly what I was studying about God. And he said, what are you, some kind of pastor? Actually, I kind of am a pastor. And so he proceeded to tell me um, all of his sins. It was like I was receiving his confession, and I was feeling very uncomfortable by this, but he had, he literally, he had stood up, and he literally had me cornered in a corner of the bar. And, uh, He wanted to know if he was going to go to hell. I've done all of these bad things. Am I going to go to hell? That's always tricky talking about God with somebody who is intoxicated. (laughs) Because you love this person. You care about this person. And you're fairly sure that they're not going to remember one thing that you've said to them when they sober up. But I I tried to assure him about the grace of God and the love of God. And that God comes and he forgives us when we ask him. And uh, after a while, I saw the bartender looking at me and he was laughing at me because he knew something that I didn't know about this situation. 
And I felt very uncomfortable. And I said, hey, you know what, man? Uh, God loves you. I love you. It's probably time for me to go. And as I did, he goes, okay, man, let me give you a hug. And he gave me the most uncomfortable hug that I have ever had from another man in my life. And um, as he hugged me, the man next to him, who had been sitting next to him at the bar, stood up and pushed me away and said, get away from my boyfriend. And I just didn't know what to do. So I just left (laughs) very quickly. But I think about that because for that man in his drunken state and whatever else, he viewed Christianity, he viewed Christian faith as a set of rules to be followed. And that if you did not follow the rules, you would be judged. And if you didn't follow the rules enough, you would be judged and sent to hell. This was his entire concept of Christianity. Unless when he's sober, he has another concept. But this is what he explained to me. And we all have this different idea of what Christianity is about. You walk out into the world, and and some people treat Christianity as if it's one of our university classes. It's a set of information to be learned that I can then recite for the test. Someday I'll stand before God, and if I know the right information, if I know enough of it, if I pass the test... We're good. Is that what Christianity is about? Some of us view Christianity as uh, an emotion to be experienced. That we stand at Sunday mornings or at a praise and prayer night or, or somewhere, and we stand before God and we experience the emotion of God well up within us. What the uh, great church, one of the church uh, reformers, John Wesley, said, uh, this burning of God within his heart we think, that's what my faith is all about. But then what happens when we stand before God and we don't feel it? We stand before God and the fire's not there. We stand before God and the emotion is empty. Is that what Christianity's all about? I think if you turn on cable news, you get this idea generally that Christianity is all about a bunch of fanatics who are on the complete extreme right wing of everything and are ready to... Uh, blow up whatever they don't like at a moment's notice. But that's not what my Christianity's like. That's what the Christians on Law and Order SVU, that's what they do. That's not what that's not my Christianity. And I think that in this text right here, Paul is saying something about the very nature of Christian faith, about the very nature of the Christian life. And what he's saying is that it's not an idea to be explained. It's not a proposition to be proven to somebody. It's not even a rule to be obeyed. There may be some of that that happens in our Christian lives, but that's not what our faith is. What our faith is, according to Paul, it is a life, and it is a living process. It is a living out of who God has called us to be every day, day by day, minute by minute, unfolding throughout our lives. Faith is called into action. Faith comes to life as we live our lives. What Paul is saying here is that God has changed who you are, which then changes how you live. And as a summary of our Christian faith, that's a pretty good one. 
God in Jesus Christ has changed who you are, which in turn changes how you live. Change of identity leads to a new self, and it leads to a new life. Those would have been pretty good words for me to know in Edinburgh, although I don't know if they would have affected the outcome all that much. So in the text, in Ephesians, what does he say to the church? What does Paul say to the church about the life of faith? Well, he begins by reminding the church exactly who they are. And he begins reminding them of who they are by telling them exactly who they are not. In verse 17, he dives right into it. Uh, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It's a pretty rough indictment right there. And it seems like something odd to me that Paul would say because the fact is that he's writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to non-Jewish believers in Christ. And he's saying, don't be like the people who you are. Don't be like Gentiles. But they are Gentiles. It's an even more odd thing for him to say because earlier in this letter, he's talked all about how the love of God has come to those who are not Jewish. The love of God has come to the non-Jews, to, to the nations, to the ethnos, to the Gentiles. And this kind of sounds a little contradictory, man. For those upon whom the love of God has come, you're calling them calloused and hard of hearts and darkened in their minds. That's pretty rough. Is Paul being contradictory? No, I don't, I don't think he's being contradictory. What Paul is saying is that for you, Ephesians, for you in your church, for you, Gentiles, you are no longer who you used to be. You are no longer Gentiles. You are no longer Jews. You are no longer who you used to be. But God has created in you something new. And God has created you to be something new. So separate yourself from that. Step out of that. Step out of who you used to be. And step into who God has made you to be. Don't do what you used to do. Don't, don't be who you used to be. Because God has made something new within you. Be that. Paul says that God had changed their identity, called them out of their former lives. So don't practice the culture that you came from. You are a new self. Together you are a new people. You have a new practice, which is your new life. You are not them. You're not who you used to be. And then he, he tells them exactly who they are. Verse 22, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put out the corruption and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God has called you out of that old being. And he's called you to put on the new self, he calls it. And this is something that has to do with God renewing your mind, bringing you into holiness and righteousness. 
mind you, these are not things that God, that Paul is saying you should do. Paul is saying that these are things that you are. It is your identity. It is your being. It is who God has made you to be. He says to take off the old and to put on the new, and he's talking about something more than when you get a new sweater for Christmas. I take off the one with holes in it and put on the new one. He's talking about a new life, a new life entirely. And the imagery here, the language that he uses here, actually uh, harkens back to Adam and Eve in the garden who have been created completely brand new out of dirt, of course, but they're still clean and brand new and unstained from sin. They live in the purity that God has given them. And Paul uh, tells the Ephesians that you are a new creation. You are a new creature. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, you have this potential to walk with God. That is who you are. Now, uh, can you hear this echo in our culture? It's not just the Ephesians back in the first century. I mean, I think we hear this echo for us as well. When we are called by Christ out of that culture into the culture of his people, the culture of his church, there's plenty of things that he calls us to, uh, not to participate in because that's not us. We are something new. All you have to do is turn on the news. An extreme example would be a school shooting that we saw in Ohio that killed at least four people. And uh, you look at that, and you don't have to think very hard about humanity's inhumanity to one another. Or you turn on the news. Does anybody watch the news anymore? I feel like we just kind of read Google News or something like that. We turn open up our RSS readers. Anyway. Um, uh, you turn on the news and you see this man in... Uh, right next to my hometown, Modesto, who has left his family, left his children. Uh, he's a teacher at the high school. He's left, uh, he's 41 years old, and he's left his family for an 18-year-old student, which is actually something that my high school senior year English teacher also did. That's very odd. We see a situation like that, and uh, we are reminded of our propensity for selfishness, and that we oftentimes, too often, are eager to cause other people pain in the service of our own pleasure. And Paul calls us out of this culture. And you may think, okay, it's easy. We can leave those two things behind, shooting people and leaving our families. But what about even things like lying? And how, how commonplace lying is in our culture as we lie to one another, as we uh, lie to our families. As we, lying is just not a big deal. Watch primetime television, and lying is pretty much the means by which you get by in life. And we think, oh, I don't do that, but how many times have I said, you know what, I'm just going to call and say that I'm sick so I don't have to go to that family dinner and eat boiled onions. You know, uh, and it's a lie. Or what about gossip? That information becomes entrusted to us that we are then careless with. That may be something that everybody else does. 
they might be able to do that. But Paul is saying, for you, no. And the reason is because you are different. You are new. God has made you into a new creation, a new creature. You're no longer yourself. Uh, Paul says that you are righteous and renewed, so don't participate in some of the things that you used to do. Don't participate in the things that are incommensurate with who you are right now because God has changed who you are. That's what Paul's saying here. God has changed uh, who you are. He doesn't just leave it there, though, that you have a new identity. What Paul does is he takes it to the next level, and and he says, uh, God has changed who you are, and because of that, it changes how you live. Since God changes who you are, there's inevitable effects of this. There's inevitable consequences to this new life that God gives us. Your life flows from your very identity And your identity is new, and so is your life. God changes who we are, which then changes how we live. He moves the Ephesians. Paul moves the Ephesians, and he moves us from the old to the new. And as he does that, he moves us from selfishness and self-centeredness to a centeredness upon the church, upon others, upon God's people. In verse uh, Beginning in verse 25, he gives this list of things to move out of. Put away falsehood. Speak truth with your neighbor. And the reason for we are all a part of one another. We are all members of one another. Don't lie to each other because your lie doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us as a community of God's people. He calls them uh, away from sin uh, away from, uh, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give new opportunity for the devil. Skip down to verse 31. All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So uh, calls you away from these things because they have nothing to do with your new self. He says for the thief to stop stealing and to get a job and work so that that person can do the exact opposite of what he did before. Instead of taking from others, that he would have something to share with everyone. All for the good of the community. He calls us away from corrupting talk towards talk that builds up the body of Christ. Away from talk that is damaging, that is gossip. And this is what he says, that your speech may give grace to all who hear it. Your speech may give grace. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed, but instead uh, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Why can we do this? Why can we live this way, live this life? Because Christ has forgiven us, and therefore we can forgive others. It's a new identity, And that new identity leads to a new life. Of course, Paul's list here isn't extensive or exhaustive, but the pattern is clear. He says, you used to do these things over here. Don't do those anymore, but do these things here because these things 
are good for you and good for the body of Christ. From the old to the new to the life of the church, at the center of our faith is a life that is lived in relation to the new identity that God has given us. What do you resonate with here? Is it the anger part of it? I do. My whole life I've struggled with anger and how to deal with anger, and I think I've actually stood in front of this congregation and told how I got very angry in a movie theater one time uh, while I was in seminary studying to be a pastor. Um, what about the, the bitterness? What about stealing? Is this something that you struggle with? What about your speech? Do you purposefully design your speech so that it is something that gives grace to those around you? Something that when it is heard, when it is received, is a means of grace for them? Or is your speech designed to tear down, corrupting? Paul says to move away from these things because they are not who you are. And you could add to the list as well. I mean, you could talk about greed. Jesus talks about greed all the time. The accumulation of things for ourselves without consideration for others. Lust, the objectification of other people for our own pleasure. Indifference, the idea that I see and I understand what's going on in the world around me. I just don't care. These are all things that are part of that former life. You may see them as uh, prevalent in the culture around you, but, um, but Paul says to move away from them into something new. These are patterns of liver, living that are incommensurate with your new self. New blood runs through new veins. And you have a new walk to go with a new life. Paul's saying God has changed who you are, which then changes how you live. It's actually a pretty simple message, right? I mean, uh, you could change out the list of vices that Paul lists for any other vices, and you could, uh, you could see how they apply in your life. The principle is true in your life, just as it is true in the Ephesians, that God has made you a new person. And that's the message. He changed who you are, which then changes how you live. I think that's pretty good at the core of our Christianity. But let me say a couple of things, uh, a couple of clarifying observations here. The first is answering the question, what is our faith about? I think that clearly it's the witness of Paul here and it's a witness of, of Scripture overall that our faith is about a life and a living process. Our faith is about a transformation of our lives in Jesus Christ. Paul says it is at the heart a movement from the old self to the new self, from old living to new living. God takes who we are and he transforms us into who he has created us to be. And it's not necessarily or or primarily about a set of information on which you're going to be tested or a set of rules on which you're going to be graded. Because you'll never know enough, and you'll never make the grade. Not on a set of emotions which God inspires within us, because you'll never feel enough. But it's all based on something that God has already done. He has made you a new creation. Our faith 
is the hopeful and joyful message that God has changed who we are from who we were to who he has created us to be. It's a life, and it's a living process. The second observation is that uh, this happens all at once, and it happens throughout your entire life. The moment that you come to faith in Christ, he says that you are a new creation. However, I think that probably some of us would say that even after that moment, we were still doing old creation things. And so the process is fully completed in that moment, and it takes our entire lives to complete. Let me give you an example of this. I've shared my testimony here before. I went to a youth event on a Saturday night, free pizza, prayed to receive Christ, asked God to fix my life. I didn't know anything about God or about Jesus or who Jesus was. I just figured I needed my life fixed. The very next day, my friends and I, we would love to go out to this country club, this golf course that was either abandoned or was just being built. We didn't really care because all we knew is that there were golf carts with keys in them and they were unlocked. And we would go out to this golf course and we would jump in the golf carts and we'd take off and we'd tear up the greens. That's what we did. The next night after I asked Christ to come and fix my life, that's what we did. We went out to this golf course. And it was somewhere between... Me sitting in the seat of the golf cart and pulling my legs back and kicking the windshield out because it was tinted and it was getting dark and I couldn't see. Somewhere between me kicking the windshield out and when the windshield hit the ground, something inside me said, I don't think this is what Christians do. Do you think? Unless this is your common practice. (laughs) Something inside me said, I don't think that this is what Christians do. I'm a Christian now, so I probably shouldn't be doing this. I stopped, I got out, I walked to my car, and I went home. My friends didn't even notice, I think, that I had gone, right? But that, I didn't even know what a Christian was. But something, the Holy Spirit inside of me, said to me, this is not who you are. It had certainly been who I was, because I had been to that golf course a lot of times. I'm so surprised they never caught us. But in that moment, something happened. Now, just to be honest with you, that voice in my head has not always been so clear, or I have not always been so receptive to it in my life since then. It's been a matter of going up and down in my walk with God, a matter of wanting to obey, but giving in to my old self. It's an intentional life of discipleship with its ups and downs, its successes and its failures. And so it happens all at once. God tells you, this is who you are. And then it happens throughout your entire life. It's an intentional lifetime of discipleship. Now, uh, to enter into this life, to be this new creation, this new being, but not, but not enter into the discipleship part, not enter into the life part of it, 
I imagine it's like buying a new car. It's buying the car of your dreams. You've researched it online. You have gotten the best price for it. It is the perfect color that you've always wanted. And you, you purchase it. You, get the, you pay for the license, the registration. You get the plates for it. And then you never drive it. It just sits in your garage. It sits there and you look at it. And it's beautiful and it's nice. But you never turn it on. You never hear the engine roar. You might wipe it down a little bit, but what's the point? Because you're never really going to drive it anyway. And that's, that's ridiculous. That's silly. There's no point to buying a new car if you're not going to drive it. There's no point to being given a new heart if it's not going to beat. There's no point to buying new shoes if you're not going to walk in them. There's no point to be given a new life if you're not going to live it. And so God says this happens all at once, and it happens as you live your life every day. I talk about intentional discipleship at GRX. Uh, One of the requests that people have is for discipleship. And this is something that, as a church, we want to be, we want to facilitate discipleship among our people. There's a number of means of doing this at GRX. One of them is resources and programs that we have. I think that our formation classes are a part of this. We're going to have one starting in a few weeks that deals with the practices of the Christian life, which is intentionally discipleship-focused. There's the traditional one-on-one, one-on-two discipleship. You have three pastors at this church, myself, Doug, Ali, and not only that, you have a number of mature Christians in this church. All you have to do is go and ask and say, hey, can you disciple me on this? Can you teach me about this? I'd really like to know more about this. Can we meet up together? I can't promise they're going to say yes. <laughs> I have a feeling that they will try to. But um, what I'm saying is that that's open and that's available to you for people in the family of God to learn from one another. And finally, the third observation I want to make here about this idea that God changes who we are, which then changes how we live, is that, uh, please note, I'm not asking you to do anything here, which is ridiculous because I just asked you to involve yourself in discipleship. But really, at the core, I'm not asking you to do anything. Paul's not asking you to do anything. The work of our faith is already done. God has accomplished it in the person of Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection. You are a new creation. It just is. It's already accomplished. What I'm asking you, what I think Paul is asking you, is to be something. Not to walk out of here and be burdened with a list of tasks that you have to accomplish in order to be a good Christian but to walk out of here in the freedom of the knowledge that God has created you to be something new. And that because he has, you have the freedom and the ability to actually be that thing. So I don't want to burden you with do's. I just want to say, be what God has already made you to be. And 
from that will flow the life that he has called you to. God changes who we are, which then changes how we live. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, your word, we open up your word and you tell us that uh, you have done something. You've already done something in us. You have given us this new self. You have created it within us. And you ask us to be what you have already made us to be. Father, the freedom that you give us to live into Christ who is our head, to live into the forgiveness and the love of your Son. Father, I pray that uh, you, would, that you would just push that deep into our hearts. This idea that you've already done this. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would be with us as we seek to be the new creation that you've called us to be. Father, as we come back to worship, we pray that we would uh, praise your name and glorify you from this place of newness. In Christ's name, amen.